one of the biggest mistakes I see is that there are some brands that just call it quit when it comes to landing pages way too early. I know a lot of e-commerce brands today are scaling fast. In two years, $20 million, it's not rare. But the reality is that when it comes to longer term success, you know, experimentation is necessary. And the bigger you get, the harder it is to make everything work all the time. Moving fast and breaking things doesn't always work as the best strategy when you're 10 million plus. Every business needs a website and every website needs a landing page or many landing pages. But where things become fuzzy is when you try to understand what makes a landing page good versus just good enough. However, when you figure this out and stay open to continually learning and stay open to continually testing, the benefits could be huge. We're talking more conversions, higher LTV, and an overall better experience. So then why are brands still neglecting their landing pages? And why are they so hesitant to split test many at a time? And what can they do to make them better? I asked those exact questions to Raphael Paul and Daigle, the founder and CEO of Splitbase, which is helping companies like L'Oreal, Diff Eyewear, and more scale their websites in meaningful ways that impact their bottom line. Raphael walked me through some of the biggest mistakes companies are making when it comes to their websites, including the severe lack of patience most brands have for testing and failure. But as Raphael explains, it's in the experiments and the failures that you learn the most. So tune in for all the insights and get ready to start running those A-B tests once this episode is over. Enjoy. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review. Let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Raphael Paulin Daigle, who currently serves as a founder and CEO of Splitbase. Raphael, welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too. I'm a little nervous podcaster to podcaster. I mean, you do your own <laughs> show. I'm like, how's, this gonna, how's it going to go? I don't know. How I feel about this? I mean, I, I hope it turns out well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident in this. <laughs> Me too. It'll go great. So before we get into split base, I would love to kind of dive into your background because I was yeah. reading a bit about you and I heard at the age of 11, you were a magician. So I was like, how epic of a start is that? Let's start there. Yeah, you dug deep. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was a magician. I mean, you know, I think as it's kind of funny because even going before 
11 years old, you know, one of my favorite pastimes was actually to kind of create a little desk in my parents' living room and, and just like act as if I, I had an office. It was kind of ridiculous. It, I guess it was meant to be. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then at the age at the age of 11, I was passionate about magic and I decided that that was going to be my job. I did not want to be employed somewhere. Like I couldn't imagine. And I know 11 years old is pretty young even to get a job, but like I just really like the business side of things. I was learning on my own time to, you know, build websites, do these type of things. And honestly, I think I loved the business aspect of it more than the actual magic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I spent way more time building the website, figuring out my marketing and all of that than I ever spent practicing magic. So, um, you know, looking back, I did that from the age of 11 to almost 17 or something. Um, and it worked out really, really well for me. You know, I, I managed to get paid pretty well for my age back then. And that I think it, it kind of got my first taste at entrepreneurship and running a business. Um, so that was super exciting. But over time, obviously, I kind of got disinterested in magic. And I was like, oh, I want to build like a real business, whatever that means. I, I had a real business, but I just really wanted to get more into marketing and those type of things. And I even had a dream to own hotels, just, you know, a lot of things. Um, that's kind of what I was daydreaming about when, when I was a teenager. Um, and eventually what happened is um, I launched a company called Ideal Input back then. I can't remember how old I was, but I think I was a teenager. And it was like a marketplace for marketing consultants and small businesses could get feedback from consultants. And that was like my first real online business. That's um, legit. I had... <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, it did not work, but you know, we got a few sales. Well, we got uh, the company and meaning myself got a few sales, but one thing was very interesting about this is that I thought we had a conversion optimization problem on the site. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's why the company was not working. And I they're mean, all forget here. about it's product market fit. <laughs> exactly. So that's how I actually got into conversion optimization. I read so much about it. I was so obsessed about it. It was just so intriguing to me. And I thought that was going to fix and make the business work. And that's how I got my start in CRO when yeah, I was still a teenager. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So now you're trying to figure out conversions. Then what happened after that? Yeah. So what happened, I kind of realized after a while that, hey, um, this business is not going to work. You know, I started connecting with accelerators and mentors and other, you know, tech entrepreneurs in my city. And I, and I come from a pretty small city, you know, 200,000 people or so. So it's not like there were tons of people, but I was very fortunate. Um, this guy uh, called Dan Martell um, who's actually pretty well known today with a, with a few companies, was pretty much my neighbor. <laughs> um, and he, he became my mentor and kind of made me realize, you know, why the business wasn't working in the first place. And also, what do you have to think about when building an online business? Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of dabbled into a bunch of different companies. I went into Bitcoin and launched a Bitcoin consultancy uh, even at one point owned the Bitcoin ATM. Oh my gosh. Looking back, you know, Bitcoin was not something that I really enjoyed that much. But for some reason, it started feeling real. I was building a business and I was interested in it while doing it. But I kept coming back to conversion optimization and marketing was really the passion. 
And at that point, after being in Bitcoin for a while, I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go back to digital marketing. And that's when I... I don't know if I really launched Splitbase right there and then. I kind of freelanced for a while trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. I knew it was going to be in conversion optimization. Mm -hmm. But um, it's around that point in time that I said, you know what, like... I'm going to be doing CRO and landing pages and, and probably focus on e-commerce as well. I love that. You kept getting pulled back to your roots of like what you were interested yep. in the very beginning. That's amazing. Yep. So tell me more about what is Splitbase and then name drop some of your clients because I saw some names there and I'm like, I know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So Splitbase is a conversion optimization and landing page optimization agency for direct consumer e-commerce brands. So we're typically talking, you know, brands that are doing between 10 to like $200 million mm-hmm. um, through e-commerce. Some of our clients include, I think some of the best known are probably like Dr. Squatch, who was, you know, featured in, in a Super Bowl ad. We've worked with L'Oreal and all their brands, um, such as Kiehl's Armani and all of that. More on the D2C side, you know, Diff Eyewear is, is pretty well known as well. And, and many, many more. I mean, I could, yeah. I, could, I could name quite a few. But yeah, you know, really fun lifestyle brands, lots of beauty brands, some fashion brands. I always said one of our specialties is, yeah, beauty and skincare. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, it's been such a huge market for us. And, and it's great because we've also been able to develop a specialty. And we, we understand the skincare and the beauty customer in a way that we know a bit more about what works and what doesn't when it comes to e-commerce for those type of brands. Yep. Got it. Cool. So, you know, 2021, how and why are companies struggling with landing pages? Like, what do you go in and see is going wrong, especially with these like, you know, medium to larger brands? I think there's a lot of brands doing a lot of things, right? But obviously the opposite is also true. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is that um, there are some brands that just call it quit when it comes to landing pages way too early. Look, I know a lot of e-commerce brands today are scaling fast. You know, in you know two years, $20 million, it's not rare. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that also means that what you've seen so far are, are things that work. The reality is that when it comes to longer term success, you know, experimentation is necessary. And the bigger you get, the harder it is to make everything work all the time. Because, you know, moving fast and breaking things don't doesn't always work as a, as a best strategy when you're 10 million plus. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest mistakes I would say is the lack of patience when it comes to landing pages. A lot of brands send all their paid traffic to the homepage, collection page, or product pages. And then, you know, if they decide to do landing pages, very often they're going to try just a a few, one, you know, one here, one there, um, not super research-driven pages. And then if it doesn't work, well, they often call it quit or just going to say, oh, it turns out our homepage is working better than the landing page you know, a landing page is absolutely going to outperform whatever page you're sending your traffic to. But, you know, we've seen in most cases that if you test enough and use the learnings from every test to fuel the next version of your page, you know, you can very often get to a point where you're outperforming the homepage, a collection page or the product page. Um, and, And it becomes 
you know, a fantastic asset for paid acquisition. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, the lack of patience for testing, uh, sometimes people want results very quickly, but unfortunately no one's got a crystal ball. I used to be a magician, yeah, as I say, but you, you know, you that was in another one. life. <laughs> Come on, whip it back out. We need that. I, hey, you know, I think we're, we're, we're pretty kick-ass at what we do when it comes to landing pages, but at the end of the day, you know, it still comes down to experimenting, mm-hmm. trying things and accepting that most of the things that you're going to try are just not going to work. Yeah. So now take that and, and use it, uh, you know, to generate something even better. And I think that's kind of where people get stuck off and they get discouraged too quickly. So how many landing pages should brands be testing at any one time? And how long should that test be running for to really know if it's you know a significant outcome? So how many? I think, I mean, it all depends, right? You know, we've got clients where the first page was a winner and then they've used that and slight variations of it for like the past year and it's still working well. We've got some other clients where it took like five, six tries in a few months in order to find what was outperforming everything else. So honestly, I don't think there's a stop date when it comes to experimentation. You should always be testing. And whatever's working now may be working now, but nothing guarantees you that it's going to work next week, next month, next year, or even tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right? So I think continuous optimization and experimentation is the only insurance policy, you know, when it comes to making sure you're still growing year over year. Yeah. That's, that's when it comes to the number of pages. Now, for how long? Well, this actually is, goes kind of hand in hand with another mistake brands are doing is, you know, very often brands are going to try to test a page. They're going to launch it, let's say, in Facebook ads and run an A-B test, but they're going to run it for a day or two, and the page might have like, you know, a few conversions and control the same. Huge mistake. I mean, at the end of the day, the rules of of statistics and mathematics still apply to Facebook ads, whether you're doing an on-site A-B test or, you know, a test in, in your Facebook ad manager. Meaning that generally, hey, test your landing pages. Um, and I mean, I'm very careful saying this, but there are exceptions. But generally, we'd recommend at least test for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like you release one new landing page, you want to test it against another one, have it live in your Facebook ads for at least two weeks. And don't stop it if you have like five transactions per variant. We try to get at least a minimum of 100 mm-hmm. before you can make a decision. Now, it does cost money, obviously. If you're sending traffic you know, to those variants, you'll need the proper sample sizes. That is the cost of experimentation. And when you look at the opposite, if you don't experiment and just try to release random things, well, you could be making decisions based on false positives, false negatives, and it doesn't mean it's going to cost you less, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, yeah, no, proper statistical rigor is still needed when it comes to experimenting landing pages. So when you're approaching these brands that you're working with, what are some of the like mistakes you're seeing right off the bat that maybe many companies are making with landing pages? Actually, the biggest mistake is, is, is I think it always comes down to this. And it's the pages are built based on the team brainstorming. Um, and okay, that sounds like great, right? Like you're going to get all your smartest people in the company. Mm-hmm. You're going to brainstorm. You're going to get ideas. Maybe you're going to look at what your competitors are doing. but the mistake here is that 
you might be building a page based on your own gut feelings instead of what actually resonates with the customers. Now, that sounds like, oh, well, no, you know, some people could say, we know our customers well enough that this is not happening. Look, most of our clients, I don't know if most, but at least a, a large number of companies that we've worked with, when we initially were talking with them, they said the same thing. They said, no, no, we really, really know our clients. We, we know who they are. But then when you really dig deep into it, okay, maybe they know like the demographics, like where they live, the age range and all of that. But do they really know the voice, the words, the objections, the needs, the wants, the life situations of their customers? Not really. Mm-hmm. And when they say they do, often it's just they think they know until you actually start talking with the customers. So, you know, if we kind of zoom out here, what really needs to be done is that you need to be building pages based on what your customers is telling you. You know, for example, what are the needs or what are the objections when people aren't buying from you? Right. Like if you can figure out what those are through surveys, polls, even just phone calls to your customers, like those should be addressed on the on the landing pages. Mm-hmm. Like a little FAQ section or like somewhere just to highlight. These are probably concerns of other people that you're thinking about. Check them out before you X out. Oh, I like yeah, that. Well, That's a good little I jingle mean, there. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? Like not even the FAQs. I think the FAQs are great, but mm-hmm. it should be part of like the main copy, like the main landing page. If those are the things people care the most about, mm-hmm. one of the most common example, and I'll use a simple one that typically impacts, uh, let's say, all, all fashion brands, right? So sizing and sizing, mm-hmm. always a concern. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is it going to fit me? Is it made for this? Blah, blah, blah. Well, when looking at this, well, people want to be, want to make sure that they can return. Like, what if it doesn't fit? Do I lose my money? Do I get my money back? Like that's a simple objection mm-hmm. that you think is, is, well, yes, is very simple to address, but how many sites are not even making it super obvious? Many, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So same thing with like skincare brands. Um, people care more and more and more about the ingredients. Yeah. Um, if it's good for their skin type, like oily skin, dry skin, you know, is it good for different skin conditions um, like acne? Well, all those things, you know, are just pieces of information that the customer needs to know in order to feel safe and comfortable making the purchase. Yeah. And if that's not being addressed, well, then you could be talking about 20,000 things. But if those are the main customer's concerns, the sale is still going to be a hard one because, you know, you, you need to diffuse and address those objections, those concerns. Um, so, yeah, I would say, like, it needs to be like, in the copy lead with it, literally. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. When you're going through designing, you know, web pages for people, I'm sure depending on the brand, you have a different kind of funnel. Like how do you go about kind of auditing like what the company's selling, you know, maybe how hard it is to sell and then figuring out what that funnel should look like, which may be very different, you know, from someone who's selling a $3 thing versus a $3,000 thing. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the first thing that we do, you know, obviously we look at analytics. We try to understand the traffic sources. Mm -hmm. So if you're spending a lot of money on Facebook, a lot of money on Google ads, a lot of money elsewhere as well, like how differently are your users behaving from channel to channel? Like are the things they're buying the same or, you know, does your Facebook traffic typically buy more of one product category compared to the other? Which pages are they visiting? How many times do they visit the site before they actually end up buying? Right. So there's, there's, probably like hundreds of things, you know, that we look at when doing this and it gets us an idea of like, okay, well, we know what are the opportunities and maybe where are the, also the weaknesses of, of a website. The thing is obviously when looking at analytics and that's typically, by the way, where companies stop when they do that and they try to understand how to build their funnel. Mm -hmm. The thing is analytics are numbers and your customers are human beings. So, that means that if you're only trying to understand your customers through numbers, you're still guessing because numbers don't tell you anything other than volumes mm -hmm. or percentages and things like that. Not what the customer is thinking. What we do, and, and that's in contrast with a lot of agencies that go, don't go that far and even companies because it's just so much work, but it's the number one thing I recommend. And it's to one talk more with customers. It sounds simple, but what we're typically going to do is we're going to send, you know, polls and surveys to existing customers, qualitative, where people like have to type their answers, sometimes going to call customers, usability research, um, where we look at people, you know, uh, navigate through a website, all those types of things, or analyze social media comments on ads and social media channels of the company. And that qualitative aspect of things helps us get a much, much better picture of what those things actually are <laughs> and what matters to the company yeah. and to the customer as well, yeah. right? So once we have that, well, then we have both quantitative and qualitative data that helps us form that funnel, that landing page, that website experience. Yeah. What questions are you asking to be able to even start figuring out that funnel. I'm trying to imagine if a new brand's going out, yep. they're like, great, I'm going to survey, survey my audience. I'm going to start doing polls yes. and email them and all this. Like, what should they even be asking? Because I can see a flurry of answers coming back and being like, okay, and now I'm back at the starting point yep. again, because everyone's telling me different things. And my landing yep. page would be a mess if I went off of everyone's yes. random musings. <laughs> At one point, you know, it's still, I think, a bit of an art and science to understand then how to use that and transform it into copy design and all of that. But I think to kind of dumb it down at the end of the day, what do you want to know are simple things like what made people buy your product? Mm -hmm. Like that sounds very simple, but when you let people type their answers, instead of you offering them a multiple choice, you might discover things that you never expected, different use cases for your products that you didn't think about. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's a very simple question. Um, other questions could be like, um, how would you describe our product to a friend? You know, I love that question for voice of customer feedback because it tells, it, it literally tells you how people describe your product and how they see it. Mm -hmm. So that's great because those are all people that bought. And if you can understand how they talk and they understand your product, 
Well, that can help you, that can help inform the messaging that you'll have on your site and landing pages. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And, and other questions could be things like even, and you can't ask this for like every type of product, but it, it could be something like, how did our product, you know, change your life? Mm-hmm. Honestly, you know, we ask that a lot. What um, kind of answers even, are you getting back? Like change, oh. life changing. That's pretty you get you get everything uh, because you let people tight, right? I remember we actually like there was someone who wrote a kidnapping story for a perfume. The reason why they bought a perfume was because it reminded them of the time they got saved from a kidnap. It was what? just so crazy. <laughs> oh my yeah, you, you get you, you get all sorts of answers, but obviously that's maybe like zero point zero five percent of yeah. the responses. That could be great UGC content, though. Hi, come on in. <laughs> right? Let's talk about this. I mean, you could create a whole marketing campaign around it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You've got your perfect people now that you can just tap into and get some good content. Yep. Um, No, but you know, what you're going to get when you ask things like, how did this product change your life? You know, it's the point is I'm not really trying to understand if it really changed your life or not, but I'm trying to understand what is the biggest benefit that they got out of this product that they can fetch Mm-hmm. you know, in, in their minds, like how, what, how did they think about this product? And what's the really like the top thing they'll love about this product? You know, I always say brands don't sell products, they sell outcomes, mm-hmm. or at least they should, because that's what customers care about. You know, when you sell, when you're scal- selling, for example, a skin cream, like a face mask, people aren't buying it because it's a mask. They're either buying it for, because they want to relax, have better skin, get rid of acne, have more confidence, you know, they're looking for an outcome, not just like cream to put on their face. (laughs) So I think once you ask these type of questions and understand how people use your products and why they love your products, well, you literally get the words from them Mm -hmm. as to why other people should buy the same product. And you can use that in your marketing copy, in your headlines and in the designs, everywhere, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So the one thing I'm thinking about now is with all these new brands that are popping up, I'm always thinking about, you know, LTV of customers and how a lot of these brands yeah. popping up. I mean, I'm thinking about this, uh, these leggings, they were on TikTok, everyone wanted them, they made your butt look great, all this kind of stuff. But I'm like, sure, they probably got a huge spike in conversions from their, you know, TikTok videos or cool yes. content. But I'm like, do they actually have a, you know, how's their LTV look? Probably not great. I don't see people probably reordering that a lot. They don't have any other products. How do you think about balancing landing pages so that, you know, it's great. It converts and all that, but it doesn't sell it in a way that's going to kind of hurt your lifetime value of your customer, you know, going forward. I mean, it's always tricky, right? But I think the number one mistake you could make if you're building a landing page, acquiring new customers is to not have a strategy to get those customers to buy back Mm -hmm. because getting existing customers to buy from you twice three times, four times, you know, it's going to be so much cheaper than acquiring brand new customers. I think that is super important. Email marketing, super important. Knowing how to remarket, you know, a landing page is not, is not a solution to everything. It might help you get new customers, but then don't lose those customers, get their email addresses if they're not buying. Right. So having a strategy in place is super important. Second, understanding, and look, this is hard for new brands, for sure. But when you understand your lifetime value, it becomes much easier to make marketing decisions as to, you know, where to advertise your products, which products to advertise, 
you know, one of the, my favorite things to look at if the data is available is to look at which products that people buy first that leads to the highest lifetime value. Mm-hmm. The reason why I love looking at this is because, look, you might have, let's say you have two different products. One, the conversion rate is very low, but AOV, you know, is very high upfront. Whereas the other one is the opposite. AOV is very low, conversion rate is very high. Maybe you make this, the same amount of money. Which one is better? Well, if you don't know which one might lead to the top lifetime value, you don't know. But if you have that data, you could you know, literally build a funnel knowing which products to promote first to brand new customers that will eventually get them to come back to your brand. Right. So that's a little strategy that I love to employ. And obviously it's a little more complicated than what I just said, but I think it's a it's a good little overview. I love it. That's great. So the other thing we were looking through your Twitter thread, always a great place for research. And I saw that you said <laughs> that um, you thought customer personas were a waste of time. So I wanted to hear your thoughts mm. behind that because we've had a lot of people come on the show talking about, you yes. know, how great it is to get customer personas, how important it was. So give us some behind the scenes on your thought for that. Yeah. So customer personas can be fantastic or they can be completely useless. Mm -hmm. And those that I think are completely useless are the ones that brands use the most. And it ties back to what I said earlier about the lack of research and building things based on gut feelings and what the team is right and what the team thinks resonate with the customers. Mm -hmm. The thing is, the way traditional personas are built really are built by just getting your team together, chatting about who we think our customers are, having some demographic info, and then literally just inventing personas based on what we kind of think they are. The issue with that is that it's all based on gut feelings. And it doesn't really say much about who your actual customers are, what are their actual motivation, and you don't know what you don't know either. So if you don't talk with your customers and you come up with those personas, you can be certain that there are other personas that you completely ignore, that, mm-hmm. that you, you have no idea even exist. I think those personas are quite useless because honestly, it just, it's, it's a guessing game. It's a, it's a gut feeling game and not, not very useful because it's all based on assumptions. Mm-hmm. What I think are valuable and great customer personas, you know, are those that are built through research. So for example, what I just said about the polls, the surveys, you know, just picking up the phone and talking with your customers. Once you capture enough data, both quantitative and qualitative about your customers, you'll see patterns emerge. And from those patterns, you'll likely start seeing different types of personas, (laughs) right? And those are personas that actually come from your data. Um, so should you ignore everything else? Absolutely not. Should they be used as guides? Yes. You know, I think there's also a lot of brands that look at personas as the holy grail of everything and everything has to be done and fit with the personas. The thing is that there's always going to be unknowns, you know, the markets change a lot. Like your customers change, your demographic changes. And especially if you're like a super fast scaling D2C brand, you can be certain those personas yeah. are changing often as well. So yeah, use them as guides, but make sure that those are also not based on your own assumptions, but that you actually have data that supports those. Yeah, makes sense. 
All right. And then my last question, what is the most important thing you've learned about optimization that every time you meet someone, you're like, this is the best thing I've ever learned. And if you don't know about it, you don't know anything. I think the number one, I'm not going to go into it too much because I just talked about it the entire time, but it's to do research. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds slow. It sounds boring, especially if you're the founder of a fast growing DTC brand, you will find it so slow. You'll just want to do things that look better. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I've, you know, I used to think that way as well, but over the years, you know, by looking at, at, at the different ways to do conversion optimization, I realized that you're going to waste so much time, you know, in the long run, if you just guess things and try and, and think that like going faster and implementing things is going to work better than taking the time to do the work up front, mm-hmm. that, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not useful. It's just, you waste a lot of time to sometimes not even get any results. So doing the proper research takes more time up front, but it is the best thing you can do for the business because it doesn't just inform an optimization program, but it also informs the rest of the business. The second thing, um, I will say this as someone who's generally pretty impatient with like, I just want things to go really, really fast, but it's also optimization is really about patience and how knowing how to extract learnings from the campaigns, the landing pages or the tests that also aren't working. Once you realize that testing and landing pages are not just about like the wins and the like plus 20%, plus 5% and so on, that's where you under, you start to realize the real value of optimization. And the real value of optimization is about understanding if your assumptions are correct or not about the business. And that helps you make better decisions. To me, that is what's valuable about optimization. It's the ability to make better decisions faster because you're not unknowingly making the wrong decisions and only finding out way later down the road. Mm -hmm. And you'll have so much more clarity about your customers, what's working, what's not working. So then when when you need to do some little adjustments on the business, you know what might impact what. And, and what resonates with customers. So patience, but really shifting your attention from the, just focusing on the wins and getting excited by the wins to trying to understand how those insights inform the business and helps you move forward, no matter the result, is kind of like next level. That's where brands um, should focus. And, and honestly, like our clients that have grown the most and that are the most successful and that have the you know, the most solid and mature experimentation programs are those that see optimization as, as that, you know, not just a way to get wins, but a way to avoid uh, losses because they can test things before they, they deploy and potentially lose. They see mm-hmm. this as a way to test out new ideas, um, but also as a way to learn more about their customers. So anyways, that's, that's what I think is, is probably one of the most important things about optimization. Love it. Well, this has been an awesome interview. Now I'm kind of thinking about like our website and I need to survey all of our <laughs> listeners and really figure those things out. But yeah, it's uh, great having you on. Where can people find out more about you and Splitbase? Yeah, so about Splitbase, honestly, splitbase.com, you'll find everything there. Um, the podcast, which right now is on pause, but I'm, I'm hopefully going to start a new season real soon. Nice. We also have the block there that's got some pretty good stuff. 
Um, and then me, uh, well, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> I also not incredibly active there this summer. I spent a little bit of time away from it, but you know, when I've got some great ideas I want to share, that's that's where it goes. So um, yeah, Twitter, R. Paul and Daigle. You'll probably need to look at the show notes to get that name right. Um, or splitbase.com. Amazing. We will link that up. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephanie. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.